Welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein, with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. Diversity and inclusion are important topics in the meetings industry today and in all industries and all walks of life. To create a truly inclusive meeting means providing a welcoming environment for LGBT attendees. To talk more about that, we spoke with Jim Klapes, chairman of the executive board of the LGBT Meeting Professionals Association. Jim is also the conference and events manager for the Drug Policy Alliance. We talked about some simple and sensitive ways to make any event more LGBT friendly. I'd like to thank American Airlines for sponsoring today's episode. At American, diversity and inclusion are appreciated and celebrated. American values each employee's unique perspectives and provides ample opportunities for engagement in diversity of thought. Can you just walk me through, you've got your real job and you've got LGBT Meeting Planners Association. You're exactly right. I've, I've got two dual responsibilities. I guess the, right. the job that pays me, my, my K job, is with the Drug Policy Alliance, which is a 501c3 a nonprofit organization. It's kind of a multi-pronged organization. So a big aspect of the work that we do is marijuana legalization, uh, both right. at a state level as well as hopefully at some point a federal level. We also are very involved with overdose prevention. And then we do a lot in criminal justice reforms. LGBT MPA, yeah, we kind of shorten it and, and just say MPA. So if you want to okay. say MPA, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, good. I'll do that. Um, so tell me how you became affiliated with that organization. I, I understand it was um, officially formed three years ago, although meeting planners that identify themselves within that group have been gathering informally for quite some time now at, at industry mm-hmm. events. I actually am on the listserv for a lot of the big event planning rags and publications, you know, MPI, PCMA, I get all of them. And I had read about LGBT MPA in one of those pieces, read an article, and it was specifically focused on David Jeffries, who is the executive director and the gentleman right. who started the organization, who did not come from a, doesn't come from a meeting planning background. He's actually an advertising guy, had worked, won a lot of ad campaigns and had worked with the LGBT community over the course of his career and had no noticed that there was kind of this void in the industry. And I read about it, thought it was a really just interesting organization. Mm -hmm. And I sent him an email and said, hey, you know, introduced myself, basically said, this is what I do, sent over a copy of my resume and just said, to give you an idea of my background, I'm really interested in how I can be involved. He and I had an initial conversation. He said, you know, I'm forming an advisory board. At that point, he had had, he had a lot of suppliers on the board, on the advisory board. And he said, you know, I really, really would love a planner's perspective. And I said, you know, I, this sounds great. Joined the advisory board. And within six months or so, he asked me to become executive chair of the board, which I've been in that position now for a little over a year. So we've okay. actually expanded considerably within that year. So we have an executive board, we have a board of directors, and then we have an advisory committee that is really, I mean, all of it is comprised of both suppliers and planners. And it's a, a lot of really, really heavy hitters and, and people that have a lot of experience in the industry. Um, so it's it's been an interesting road for the organization in a lot of ways. So that's, yeah, that's kind of how I became involved. And how many people are members of the organization at this point? So we're at about 1,500 right now. 
And I understand you don't have to identify as part of LGBTQ community mm-hmm. to be a member. Something right. that I have been really adamant about, something that we've been really trying to promote since the inception of the organization, something that Dave and I have talked about a lot, is making sure that the organization feels inclusive for everyone. So just because it's an LGBT organization, it doesn't mean that you have to be LGBT to come to one of our events. We want to be able to work with the industry on the whole and talk about how we can produce more inclusive meetings. So that's working with the allied community. That's working with everyone. It's interesting in the sense that, yes, it is an LGBT organization and we are making connections between LGBT planners and we're talking about how to plan meetings in a more inclusive way so LGBT attendees feel more welcomed. But in order to do that, we have to in court, you know, we, we've got to talk to everybody in the industry about how we can do that better. <laughs> right. Because everybody needs to have that on their on their radar. Moving to where we are as an industry in terms of accommodating LGBTQ participants, where do you see some of the gaps or what as an organization are some efforts toward change or better inclusivity? A few things. The, the two big things I would say that, that I am trying to and have incorporated into my biennial conference and which when I'm going out and I'm on a speaking engagement or I'm talking to people, other planners or hoteliers, the whole bathroom issue is big right now, right. obviously. So so that's right. obviously a big thing. And, and that's something that I think more of the industry is starting to adopt. Um, another thing is if you're printing name badges, making sure that there are gender pronoun, pronouns. So I identify as he, him. I identify as she, her. I identify as they, them, I think is also really important. Um, and, and another way that you can just sort of up your, your inclusivity at an event. But there's a lot, you know, a, a lot of it really comes down to your speakers. How are you making your speaking program more inclusive? Are you incorporating more women? Are you incorporating more people of color on your program? Are you incorporating more LGBT plus folks actually that are going to be speaking at your conference? What does your marketing look like? Is your marketing just sort of straight traditional visuals or are you incorporating, you know, I mean, you see so many ad campaigns nowadays on TV, which is so inspiring to me, but I just, I see all the time. I'm like, oh, that's a gay couple. (laughs) Something that really is just, I think, like, within the last couple of years has really started to catch on. And I always am sort of, and I, I hate that feeling that I get being surprised by it, but I am still right. kind of like, oh, it kind of takes me back. And then also too, which is huge, is if you're, when you're looking at sites, and you know, because site selection is such an important part of what I do and such an important part of what meeting professionals do, conference planners do, making sure that you're working with cities and working at venues that have shown a, commitment to inclusion. So I try to plan events as much as I, as I can. I mean, I work at a nonprofit, so it's really difficult to work in cities like New York, like San Francisco, like Los Angeles, like Chicago that boss. are, you know, yeah. more exactly, that are more progressive, that you don't really have to worry about being progressive. So, you know, my conference next month is in St. Louis. It's not necessarily a city that you would think would be the most progressive, but for the contract that I entered into with our hotel, I actually have language within the contract that says if there's any anti-LGBT legislation that is enacted at a state level, that I can actually get out of my contract without penalty, which is pretty incredible. And it was was something that I had in my contract in Atlanta as well when my conference was in Georgia in 2017. So these red states, you know, you're getting this kind of language in, which is awesome. We're moving the, the ball forward. So it's just that's another thing that I'm encouraging people to do as well is I send over that contract language constantly to people and saying, hey, it could be for anything. 
for anything, Absolutely. even for like it a could, smaller program at an individual hotel, would you include that kind of language? I, you know what, I'm trying to. It's something that is, I think, going to be a little bit harder to do, to be honest with you. Um, and and I I faced some pushback just because you know I'm not bringing the dollars with some of those smaller programs right. to really leverage that. But you know, with the program that I'm doing next month, you know, this is. 2,500 rooms, hotel rooms over the course of four nights. You know, I mean, it's a 1,500 person conference. It's well over a million dollars. So there's a little bit more leverage, obviously, (laughs) when you're bringing that that sort of business to a city and, and specifically to a hotel. So it is something that I am definitely encouraging people to do for a lot of those larger programs, because it's, I, as I said, I've done it twice and I, I never thought that either of these hotels would go for it. And I got very, very little, very little pushback. So it's it's an interesting and not to, you know, get off track, but it's an interesting conundrum for the hospitality industry and, you know, Destinations International has put out a paper about the weaponization of meetings, discouraging people from doing just that and basically saying the hospitality community does not affect politics in the area. I'm sure you've heard well, the we, argument. We do, though, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but clearly, you know, this is a way that, that we are and that we can. Perspective of the of the destination marketing organization or the suppliers, like the, mm. the, basically they're saying that, you know, they they might disagree with that legislation just as, you know, fervently as your organization does, but it's not mm. something that they, that they can be responsible for or, you know, can affect you, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and and I think that yeah. that is it's it's certainly accurate, um, and it's it's a mindset that I think a lot of the destinations have. But there's a right. lot of power in meetings, obviously, and there's a lot of power right. in convention bureaus. And you know, you've got, for instance, LGBTMPA. I mean, the majority of our business members and and strong supporters, big supporters, are all CVBs. You know, if okay. you look at our website, we've got our presenting partners are Visit Britain, Montreal. Business Events Montreal, Fort Lauderdale, Greater Fort Lauderdale Convention and Visitors Bureau. So, you know, you've got a lot of these big cities that have shown a commitment to inclusion and and wanting to make sure that their cities are being portrayed as a place where all attendees can feel comfortable, wanting to be involved in this organization in order to just further that commitment. And of course, if there is offensive legislation to members of your constituency, that's going to affect them wanting to go to that destination. So, you know, I can, mm-hmm. you know, definitely see that from from the point of view of the planner and the host organization. But let's yeah. just back up a little bit to like, you know, the logistics of of the specific accommodations. Like, so for example, mm-hmm. what do you, what are you looking for in terms of how, how bathrooms are handled? Well, so I'll give you an example. Um, the, the conference next month um, that I'm having, there are eight restrooms that are within sort of the close walking proximity of our convention space. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do was to make sure that everyone felt inclusive and comfortable. What I did was we are converting, switching four of those restrooms into gender-neutral restrooms that can be used by anyone, regardless of their gender expression or identity. Mm-hmm. And then the other four we're keeping as gender-specific restrooms mm-hmm. to not alienate anyone, because there are people, obviously, who don't feel comfortable. If somebody identifies as a woman and she walks into a restroom and there's a man there, you know, she, she's perfectly entitled, right. of course, to not feel comfortable in that situation, and I don't want to make her feel uncomfortable. But we also want to make sure that folks who don't identify 
uh, you know, who are non-binary or don't identify as cisgender, we want to make sure that they feel comfortable too. So it's just a small step. And the hotel was very agreeable to it. Well, we were able to get signs and we're mm-hmm. putting them on four of the restroom doors that say all gender restrooms. So it was very simple and did not require really a whole lot of dialogue with the hotel. We just said, hey, you know, can we do this? And right. this is I mean, the reason it's why easy we as, want to do it. It's as easy as putting a sign on. So, yeah. It's, that's exactly right. We're supplying right. the signs. We're putting them up. So, I mean, the hotel is not really, it's not a big lift on, on their part. Right. And so are you doing, are there all gender restrooms, multi-stall type of restrooms versus individual restrooms? Yeah, there are. So in some of these, the all gender restrooms, I think two of the men's restrooms and two of the women's restrooms are being converted. So there is a possibility that, you know, with the four all gender restrooms that uh, somebody who identifies as a woman could walk into one of those restrooms and there might be urinals. Right. <laughs> and you, you've done this before with groups? Mm-hmm. I have. And it's I nice. have. Yeah. And your, it's and been your fine. attendees are comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't just had anybody express any discomfort. Yeah, yeah. And if they do, they go to the gender specific restroom. You know, exactly. Exactly. Right. Totally. Right. Which is why we want yeah. to make sure that both are available. You mentioned that cities like New York and San Francisco are kind of ahead of the game on things like this. And I'm noticing I'm also a New Yorker that in, in restaurants and all that you see, you see the individual bathrooms. Maybe there's five of them in a restaurant and they're all all gender. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. that's gonna kind of just more um, common in just the architecture of a space, whether it's, you know. You're, you're right. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. Yeah. And then going to the pronouns, that's kind of a tricky thing for groups that are not used to it. And in terms of name badges, I've seen ribbons provided that if you choose to put my pronouns are or my, that you can attach that to your badge. Is that the way you do it or do you see other methods? That's the way that we do it. So we've got, yeah, the various ribbons that just stick onto your name badge. So you can choose to wear one or you can choose not to. We also have that option. So if somebody wants to let other attendees know what their gender identity is or what their gender pronouns are, they have that ability. And if not, then you obviously, of course, don't have to wear one. And what else might meeting planners not have thought about just in terms of how their agendas are planned and what they do with their space? to make it as inclusive as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things is depending on obviously the nature of the meeting and the composition of the attendance, having a LGBT mixer LGBT plus mixer, right. um, I think is always great too, because it allows people obviously to connect with one another um, who identify as LGBT. It just adds mm-hmm. to the overall inclusion, I think, of the event. Something that I don't see a lot at conferences. You no, know, I just went to um, IMEX in Las Vegas right. last month, which obviously is huge. I was there. Were you there? Yeah. Okay. Like everybody and their mother was, it was the first time that I had ever actually been. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome, but it was just, it's intense. As you know, there's a lot going on and I must've, I I may have missed it, but I didn't see sort of any LGBT, not that it wasn't inclusive. I know that they had a lot. I mean, I sat in on a number of sessions that were all about how to make your meeting more inclusive. So I appreciated that, but I didn't see any LGBT like mixer or anything to kind of give people an opportunity to connect in that way. So I think that's kind of a cool forum to incorporate. And I think, too, just keeping in mind trying to diversify your speaker set mm-hmm. as much as possible. For our speakers, we've got over 300 speakers on our program. And we've really made an effort over the last conference to incorporate more more female voices. A lot of our attendees have said, I'm tired of looking at a panel of a whole bunch of straight white men. 
Right. <laughs> and there are so many other perspectives. And particularly in the work that this organization does, it's all about diversification in so many ways. So we've tried to incorporate, and we have successfully incorporated more people of color onto our programs, more LGBT folks. So I think it's always something that convention planners can keep in mind, regardless of what the nature of their conferences or what the nature of their organization is, just trying to be mindful of inclusion when you're putting together your programs. And in terms of mixers or social gatherings for within the meetings industry, is that something that MPA does or might we do? do? We do. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that's a big part of what we do, actually. So we've worked at with uh, pretty much all of the big conferences over the last few years. Um, we just had our fourth reception at IMAX. Um, we had about 75 people attend on the Monday evening of IMAX. I um, mean, it was a, a mixer that, that we've done there. Again, it's sort of our signature event. So we did it in a really beautiful space at the Westgate Hotel. And it just allows our members to meet one another. We had a special sort of pre-reception just with our board of directors that people could attend and connect with our board. So what we're trying to do, what the organization is trying to do, and, and there's another piece that is unfolding right now, is making sure that our members are being able to connect with one another. So we want our supplier members to connect with our planner members and vice versa and give them the opportunity to do business through that way. So, um, yes, so we've, we've been at IMEX, we've been at PCMA, we've been at MPI, we've been at National Association of Catering and Events. We've had mixers at pretty much every big industry conference that you can think of. Right. And they've all been really successful and have given our, our not only are, do, because, you know, not a lot of people know about this organization still. So when our mixer is there in a program like MPI, like, you know, World Education Congress or Convening Leaders, you know, that's, that's big. I mean, those are, those are big industry shows and it, you know, allows people the opportunity to come and learn about what we're doing as an organization and then also potentially meet planners and or suppliers that they wouldn't have had a chance to connect with otherwise. Do you have any efforts really to get the word out in a broader way other than those social gatherings at the industry events? Like, how do you plan to introduce this group to the broader meetings industry? I guess this podcast will help. <laughs> podcast will help, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. I hope it does. Um, uh, yeah. I, well, you know, I mean, we do a lot of speaking engagements. So David Jeffries is actually at Thrive in San Francisco, and he's speaking mm-hmm. on their program. So uh, we do we, we speak quite a bit. I actually went down to Costa Rica last year on a um, – on a trade mission, and it was uh, organized by the, the LGBT Chamber of Commerce in, in Costa Rica. And then there was a FAM for five days, and it was a, a group of about 20 to 25 LGBT professionals. There were meeting planners, there were journalists, there were like activists, and it was just a really cool opportunity to speak about the organization, to get the word out, out about the organization to a group of folks that, that didn't know about it. So that was great. I've also spoken on, at many other events. I spoke at the National Association of Catering and Events. So speaking to caterers and, and um, a lot of suppliers about some of the concerns that they had or some issues that they were facing or questions that they had about how to make their meetings more inclusive, about how they could be more inclusive running their business. So the education is big. We're looking to bring on an education chair actually at the organization who is going to kind of spearhead that effort and, and bring our education to the next level. So that's another big way that we're trying to get information out there is educating people, educating people in the industry about how they can be more inclusive, about how the industry can be more inclusive. And it seems that it's really broader than LGBT plus community. I mean, it's just the idea of being inclusive of anyone, everyone. It is. Yeah, there's actually a whole accessibility. Um, I just actually sent this to our, our digital person yesterday to get up on our website. There's an entire all this accessibility language that I'm putting on our conference website, our anti-harassment policy, 
obviously all gender restrooms, a lactation room, which we're offering for the first time, a fragrance-free policy, basically, which is uh, to be respectful of those individuals who have allergies or or environmental sensitivities, just asking that people refrain from wearing really strong fragrances. Uh, We're having like a chill-out lounge, so an area, it's like a wellness area almost, where somebody can just go and take a moment out, take a breather from the conference. We're incorporating an audio-to-text platform at my conference that transcribes conversations in real time for people who are hearing impaired. So, you know, there are a lot of different ways that you can that you can be more inclusive, obviously. We usually have had translation services for folks who don't speak English at the conference. Unfortunately, it's really expensive and we couldn't afford to do it this year, but that's another way to to make people feel more welcome at your event. You know, we've got a lot of international attendees and we have attendees who don't speak English. It's going to be a little more challenging for some of those folks, obviously, this year because we're not offering translation. For the most part, all of them can understand English to a certain extent. I mean, you're coming into the United States for a conference that's put on by an American organization. But still, at the same time, we've tried to offer and have offered that service in the past. It's just due to financial constraints this year, as I said. Well, um, I appreciate your insights and congratulations to what you're doing and being a meaningful person in your profession. Thanks, Lauren. Um, Well, yeah, yeah, thank you. That's that's nice. Thank you. And it was nice to chat with you. I'm glad that we had the opportunity. You too. to American Airlines for sponsoring this important episode on diversity and inclusion. Thanks for listening to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. Be sure to rate and review us and subscribe. Check back for new episodes soon.